You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Bethel, good morning. Great to see you all this morning. If we've not met, my name is Will. And uh, let me invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Uh, no need for the table of contents, just find Matthew and turn over about two pages to your right and you will find it. So Malachi chapter 3 is where we're going to begin as we kick off our series in Advent this week. Let me make sure I'm on. Um, can you all hear me okay? Okay, good. We'll keep, we'll keep powering through. Um, Malachi chapter 3, I want to read this together and then, uh, and then we will pray. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire or a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years." Bethel, this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let me invite you to pray along with me. Father, we thank you as we begin celebrating this season of Advent in which we recognize that um, we need help outside of ourselves. We need you to intervene in our lives. We need you to, to work on our behalf and work in us in ways that we could never work. And so, Lord, I pray that you would indeed intervene over your people this morning. I pray uh, maybe we're walking in here just kind of with our heads spinning from uh, Thanksgiving or uh, maybe family drama, maybe preparations for the holidays. If we're here just distracted, I pray that you would settle us and that your living and active word would speak into our lives. Lord, specifically, I just want to ask that when it comes to the people of Bethel White House, that you would, during this season of Advent, replace our apathy towards you with adoration. We ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Um, so here we are in the season of Advent. The word Advent simply means arrival, or the, the coming of someone, but the, the arrival that it's anticipating is not the arrival of some ordinary person met with an ordinary response. It's the arrival of an extraordinary person that should be met with a rather extraordinary response. And so just imagine this scenario. I think it'll paint it quite well. Let's just say after church today, I take my family over to Montez Creekside Grill up the road. Um, the Cowboys played on Thursday. We got a Sunday off. So we can just relax as a family and enjoy a nice meal together. And I'm a bit of a picky person. And so I get in there and there's a family at the table I like. So I say, actually, I really like to sit there. Would you mind just asking them to move? They, they would respond to me, sir, you can sit at the table we give you or you can leave. Or, or maybe when I look at the menu, 
it, it doesn't really have anything that I really like. And I just thought, hey, do you think that the, the person, you know, in the kitchen might, might just go to the grocery store and pick up? I'd rather have this instead. Sir, what's on the menu is on the menu. And, and then finally, if I said, um, hey, just real quick, I was wondering if I could have the restaurant's attention. I just have a quick announcement I would like to make. They would probably say to me, sir, you can sit down or we will call the White House Police Department and send you on your way. That, that would be the response to my advent at Monte, Montez Creekside Grill. Now, imagine this scenario. This Sunday after church, St. Patrick Mahomes himself shows up at Montez Creekside Grill. And you're sitting at the table he likes. He says, hey, do you mind if I sit there? They'll walk up to you, pick up your things, and move it to another table. Uh, he says, I, none of these really fit my diet. Do you think you could send the, you know, the chef to the grocery store? The, the chef wouldn't just go to Brookshire's. They would drive over to Fresh for the finest food available and bring it back to, to create you know, a, a just whatever uh, Patrick Mahomes desired. And then finally, if he wanted to give an announcement, everyone would be told to be quiet, gather around, sit at his feet, give your full and undivided attention to Patrick Mahomes. Do you, do you see the difference of response depending on who it is that's showing up? Um, the the advent, advent means that, that someone significant is coming, uh, someone that we should prepare for. And when he comes, we cannot meet him with a ordinary response. But can I tell you what the problem is for, I think, every person in this room? Naturally, when it comes to the coming of Jesus into our lives in the season of Advent, we give him a Will Klotz response instead of a Patrick Mahomes response. Naturally speaking, when we contemplate the king of heaven and earth, our natural disposition is oftentimes one of boredom, disinterest, even apathy. We do not meet the coming of Jesus with the adoration that he's due. And that's why I'm so excited that we are in this passage this morning in the book of Malachi, because I think it's going to set the stage for the rest of our series of Advent quite well. This is the prophecy of someone who is coming, this great messenger he's described, this, uh, this, this great uh, king that's coming. And um, the, if we were to take away one thing, one main idea from that, that this passage, it would be this. Um, the advent of Jesus transforms our apathy into adoration. The advent of Jesus transforms our apathy into adoration. And so what I want to do this morning is begin considering, number one, I want to look broadly at this book, not just this passage, and look at the problem of their apathy in Malachi's day. And then I want to look at a, a, a promise and fulfillment of Advent. And then finally, we're going to just consider a couple ways that I think that this applies to our lives, you know, here, here in this room this morning. And so beginning with just the overall problem of their apathy, let's talk about the historical context. What is going on in the book of Malachi, okay? So this book was probably written about four to 450 years before Jesus stepped on the scene. Um, a little bit of history of what happened here. The nation of Israel was called to be God's chosen people. And they would be a demonstration to the world of this is what it looks like to worship the creator of heaven and earth rightly. This is what it looks like they were to display what it is to live in a right relationship with God and to give him the praise and the honor that he's due. But generation after generation, instead of adoring and honoring the God of heaven and earth, they, they turn to idols instead. And so God warns them and ultimately he judges them. 
Uh, if you know your Bible history, you know the northern kingdom is exiled into Assyria. And then the southern kingdom, they hang out a little while longer. Uh, but then the Persian Empire comes in and they're exiled. Or the Babylonian Empire comes in and they are exiled under that reign, under King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, a little time passes and then the Persian Empire steps in and they have a new regime, a new policy. We're going to let you go back to your land and we're going to let you rebuild the temple and sort of reestablish your civilization in the land of Israel. And so the people of Israel begin very excited, very zealous, uh, ready to go. They, they go back and under, you can read about this. You can read about it in, in uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. There's great zeal. There's great excitement. They begin rebuilding, even in the face of a lot of opposition. But as time goes on, what they begin to realize is, wow, this temple isn't quite as exciting as the temple when King Solomon built it. Built it. And we don't have King David anymore. We still have the Persian Empire who's uh, ruling and reigning over us. And so the uh, zeal and excitement that they began with as they were rebuilding their temple and their civilization has now kind of waned into a complacency, um, maybe, maybe um, a bit of disillusionment. Um, ultimately, what has set in with this community of people is an apathy towards the God that they should be adoring. And no better place in the book does it illustrate their apathy than in uh, chapter 1, verse 13. They're describing their requirements to worship, and this is their response. But you say, what a weariness this is. That, that's what their hearts are saying, is they're supposed to go to the temple to worship and offer sacrifices. What a weariness this is. Um, the, the CSB translation, I like how it says it. It says, uh, what a nuisance this is. Even though the people of Israel are physically present and going through the, the motions that the Levitical code requires, inwardly they're saying, what a burden this is. What a nuisance. I can't wait for this to be over so that we can move on to something else. And um, this general apathy in the book of Malachi sort of manifests itself in kind of two important areas, okay? So, so let's look at each of those. The, the first area that this apathy is manifesting itself in is in their offerings, their animal sacrifices. So uh, number one, in their recognition that they need atonement and forgiveness for their sins, they would bring animals forward to be sacrificed as a substitute on their behalf. And then in other ways, as, as a way of them reflecting just their gratitude, their, their, their thankfulness to the Lord, they would offer animals in, in that way too. Um, but, but here's what they're doing. Instead of finding the choice or the best animals, they're finding, you know, the, the animal with um, some kind of disease, a broken leg, maybe they're blind and they're saying, oh, well, let's just bring that one forward instead, right? Like, I won't ask for a show of hands, but some of you in this room own cows. That's, that's, that's cool. And uh, let's just say, like here every year, you know, as a part of our Advent series, we have a big animal sacrifice. You know, we cook it out back. It's a, it's a really fun thing. And we all have to give it, but it's expensive. It's costly. And, and, you know, let's just say you've got a cow that's like broken its leg. It's a little bit diseased and it's going blind. And if you're a vegan, just close your ears. But I, from what I understand, like in those situations, we, we, we put that cow down, right? Like that, that cow is just going to be put down and done away with. Well, just say, no, 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 don't put it down. Let, I could actually bring that one so they don't have to bring one of my precious cows to Bethel and we can use that one instead. That, that's essentially what they're doing. They have to bring forward a sacrifice, but it's such a burden to them. They're so apathetic to the Lord. They're, they're kind of asking this question, well, how can I get away with maybe doing the bare minimum when it comes to offering a sacrifice. And so they're bringing that defective, 
kind of busted cow that nobody would want anyway. And, and essentially, this is what the Lord is saying in response in chapter 1, verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you that would shut the doors and that you would not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. In other words, if you're just going to go through the motions of this, if, if you were just going to kind of do the external observance without the actual uh, ador adoration of heart that, that should accompany the sacrifice, just shut it all down. I wish you wouldn't do it. That's the first way that their apathy is manifesting itself through the sacrifices that they're supposed to be bringing. But, but there's another one that I want to hit on as well um, that, that, that you can see beginning to develop in verse 14. First of all, they're not taking their worship seriously. And then second, and I think as a result, the men are actually not taking their marriages seriously. So uh, the Lord is confronting them through Malachi. He says to them in chapter 2, verse 14, uh, but you say, um, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been found faithless, uh, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. He's calling them out. They're being apathetic towards him in worship. Uh, they're, they're being apathetic towards their marriages. In fact, what's probably happening here is that many of the men are leaving the wives that they had naturally, that they had originally married so that they can marry some foreign woman that's living in the land. And those maybe seem like disjointed things, like all of a sudden we're talking about sacrifices and now we're talking about marriages. They, they kind of seem disconnected, but I think they're related in this way. And I'll say this to the men especially. When we are not taking our covenant with the Lord seriously, it won't be very long until we're not taking our covenant with our wives very seriously as well. And many of the societal ills that we face trace its roots to that very issue. We are apathetic towards the Lord. We're apathetic in our homes towards our wives and our family, and things begin to unravel as a result. That's the situation that this uh, chapter was written into, chapter 3. And we're going to jump into this context and, and see what God promises to do in the midst of it. But before we do, I don't want to gloss over this too fast because um, I could right now, like this cultural issue that I'm describing here could be the nation of Israel in the year 450 BC, or I could have just as easily been describing East Texas in the year 2023, just change the names and change the dates. And I guess I speak to this from a little bit of an outsider. Like, I guess you, maybe you can tell by my accent or lack of one um, that, that like we're, Chelsea and I are like, we're new here. This, this isn't where we're from. And so a couple things that we observe that are just odd to us stepping into this context. One, there is so much Christian observance. Like when I buy my deer corn from, uh, from Brookshire's, there's Bible verses on the bag. Like, like that's astounding. Like that kind of thing doesn't happen where I'm from in the Washington, D.C. area or other places. Like there's so much Christian observance. There's, there, there's so much that, that, that's happening in terms of our church attendance and, and so forth. Um, it's not like in other places in the country, they're converting churches into bars and hanging up rainbow flags and passing drugs out. Like that's what's happening in Seattle and in Washington, D.C. Uh, in this context, like we're, we're still present. We're still going to church. We're still going through the motions. The question is, is it merely external observance or underneath it, is there a heart that genuinely adores the God who has saved us? We have to ponder that question. Just like in the book of Malachi, I think there are so many people, maybe some even in this room this morning, like, like we would say similar, th this is a weariness. 
It's something that I have to culturally check the box that I went to church this past Sunday so that I can then uh, move on to the leisure and the hobbies that I much more enjoy. I, I think there's, there's that similarity. There's going through the motions externally, but inwardly there are hearts of apathy. And then here's just another thing that shocks us. And I'm going to gloss over a really complicated subject, but I think it's important to speak to. Like we're genuinely shocked given the abundance of churches and Christian observances how many kids in our community end up spending holidays at separate homes because marriages have fallen apart? And again, I realize it's a complicated subject, and I realize there's all kinds of, every marriage has its own situation. I understand that. I'm just saying that if given the abundance of divorce that's taking place, even here in such a Christian place, maybe there's something wrong with the way that we're going about our worship as well. And I do not bring this up so that I'm simply throwing rocks or pointing out problems. I bring this up so that we would have a similar posture that the people in Nehemiah's day needed to have, where we say, we're a mess. We desperately need God to intervene. We, we are beyond fixing this on our own. We can't just go through the motions. We need God himself to come down and visit us. And so with that, would you look back with me at chapter three, at the promises that are issued um, in, the, in the apathy that these people find themselves in. We've looked at the, the problem of their apathy. Let's look at the promise of Advent. The first thing that I want us to see here is the sure coming of the Lord. Chapter three, verse one, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here's the first stage of the promise. One, there's going to be a messenger that's coming that's preparing the way. You know, sometimes things are so significant, they need a messenger to help prepare and get everybody ready. It's like when you're driving down I-20 and you see in 243 miles, he's coming. Bucky's, he's, he's, he's down the road, he's coming. Prepare yourself, prepare your hearts. It's, John the Baptist recognizes something significant is coming. People, prepare yourselves. Um, that's the, the lowercase messenger, but then it shifts to an uppercase messenger, someone even more significant, even greater than John is coming. It says the, the messenger of the covenant whom you coming, who, uh, the, the messenger of, uh, of the covenant in whom you delight, he is coming, declares the Lord of hosts. So there's this sure confidence. Be, be sure, take this to the bank. The Lord is going to come and visit his people. And when he comes, he's gonna foster three major transformations in their lives. Um, in the midst of their apathy, um, in the midst of their half-heartedness about worship, he's gonna foster three big transformations in their lives. The first one is this. He's gonna create a purified people. Malachi says, the Lord of hosts is coming, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand before him when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. The CSB says he's like a launderer's bleach. In other words, what is he going to come to do? Well, remember uh, that um, he's gonna come and be like a goldsmith that burns away the imperfections and, and, and out of it comes the, the precious pure thing. He'll be like a launderer's bleach that can remove even the worst stains. The reason these people were supposed to bring animal sacrifices in the first place was because uh, those animals needed to be spotless because the people themselves were not. They were covered with stains of sin. Uh, they were covered with uh, uh, false worship and idolatry, and they needed a pure animal to stand in their place. Well, Malachi promises an extraordinary thing is going to happen at Advent. 
The God who sees all of our stains is going to come not to condemn us, but to, to purify us. Not just to judge us, but to remove what's impure um, and, and, and what needs to be taken out. So he's going to create, number one, a purified people. Number two, he's going to create a passionate people. Listen to what it says um, after the description of his purification. It says that uh, they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Remember, the issue with the animals that they're bringing were not just that they were defiled animals. It, it, it revealed something defiled about their hearts. They had hearts that treated God as common, casual, ordinary. Malachi is telling us of a day when the Lord is going to come to his people and when he's going to first purify their sins, he's going to burn out all the impurities. And what will the response be? Offerings that are righteous offerings that come from the heart, offerings that might even be very costly on the behalf of their people, but they present those offerings with smiling faces and joyful hearts because they're so glad to, to offer some token of gratitude in light of all that God had done with him. And then finally, the, the, the third transformation after creating a purified people, a passionate people, is that he's going to create a pleasing people. The final verse says, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in days of old, as in the former years. The end result of this purified and passionate people is that they will, the Lord will ultimately be pleased with them. No longer will he be regarded as common. No longer will the Lord be regarded as a box to check. No longer uh, will, will he be uh, a plain or at, will they be apathetic to him. No, he will be the central passion of his people's lives because Advent transforms our apathy into adoration. So that's the promise, that someone is coming. A, a messenger will prepare the way, and then the Lord will come suddenly to his people, and he will foster these transformations in their lives. He will turn their apathy into adoration. I guess the question for us to ask then is, did it actually happen? Where do we see maybe this very verse finding its fulfillment on the pages of the New Testament in the story of Jesus' life? I think we could see the fulfillment of Malachi 3 in, in a variety of places, but there's one in particular we actually read together as a family this past week that I think captures it quite well. If you want to see the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3, all you need to do is show up at a dinner party in Luke chapter 7. So Jesus is invited in by, you know, one of the actually similar people in Malachi's day. It was one of the religious leaders, a Pharisee. And similar to the people in Malachi's day, there was like an external demonstration of honor. I mean, he welcomed him into his home. But we know from the story deep down, when he was welcomed into his home, he was welcomed in with a heart of suspicion and a heart of distance, not one with adoration. And so there he is just having dinner with this person who's physically present, but, heart, but his heart is elsewhere. And something absolutely insane happens, right? Maybe you know the story. There they are just enjoying perhaps some pita and hummus. And all of a sudden, this woman busts in the door and she has quite a reputation. It's a family service, so I'll just say that she was a sinful woman. Um, but she was known to being someone that, you know, in the category of purity, she was outright filthy, and she had no business being in the presence of Jesus. And so where do we see the fulfillment of Malachi's promise in this moment? Well, 
we would, first of all, when it comes to purity, have the sense of, here's this righteous rabbi who has no business being in the presence of a woman like this. Uh, Surely he will send her away and they'll continue their discussion over dinner and move about their lives. But no, he says something absolutely astounding to this woman who was so sinful, uh, so much, just so much impurity that was in her life. He says something astounding. He says to her, though her sins are many, they're all forgiven. And he says to her at the end, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. So here she comes in, just filthy, covered in sin. And yet the, the, the one that was promised to purify his people looks right at her and says, hey, even though you have this incredible record, even though you are naturally filthy, you're going to leave from my presence completely pure. In other words, she showed up in Jesus' presence that night with filthy rags on. She left with a pure white wedding dress. He purified his people, but that leads to then that second point. What, what about the, the, the passion that was described there, that, that there would be these offerings that are given in righteousness? Well, from that moment, we can see the, the Pharisee kind of continuing to stand there with his arms folded at a distance, um, but, but we see her gladly uh, worshiping him in the kind of way that doesn't care about what people think. Like, this is an awkward moment. She's just weeping at his feet, She's taken this perfume that very well could be worth her life savings and she breaks it as her, at his feet. This gift of appreciation, this gift that's costly, but she doesn't care. She just wants to show how much she adores the Savior that's just saved her. We see passion flowing from her life. And then what about that final piece, that, that fact that she becomes pleasing to the Lord? Well, again, it's a ridiculous scene, but what does Jesus say concerning her act of adoration in that moment? She's done something beautiful for me. In other words, this is the kind of worship that should categorize the the, the people of God. And so here we find ourselves amidst the the apathetic people of Israel, the the apathetic parts of ourselves, where we have this this promise that someone is coming that's going to transform our apathy into adoration. And he's going to be doing, he's going to do it by purifying his people like a, like a launderer's bleach. And he's going to do it by creating passion, true worship in his people, not just going through the motions and checking the box, but, but laying down costly gifts at his feet. And that finally that he would foster in them the fact that they would be pleasing to him, that they would be pleasing to him. Malachi promised it. Jesus accomplished it 2,000 years ago, and he's still making it happen here in our midst today. And so under just this final consideration, how should this um, purifying, passion-building, God-pleasing, creating uh, Savior, how how should this affect our lives today? I I, I come into, I think, this this passage in this room with just a couple groups of people in my mind that I think this this passage has special application to. And, and the first group of people that I have on my mind are people sitting in these chairs. And it's at this particular moment that you are just weighed down by stupid decisions that you've made in your past. Like shameful things that you've done, or maybe that have even been done to you, that still like have ramifications in your life. They still weigh you down. And, and maybe it's during the holiday season especially that like the irreversible decisions that you've made, they get a big, a big, uh, a big uh, highlighter put over them. You, you, you feel them deeply. You're weighed by, down by them. They're like these, these stains that you carry. And I, 
You know, the funny thing about like wearing a stained garment is that it, it affects the way that you kind of go about your day, your life. I remember I, I got a new job and we were living in Houston and we got there in July and I was starting later that month and uh, I lived like a tenth of a mile. And so I thought, no big deal. I'll just get on my, you know, nice formal clothes and I'll walk there. Well, you can't walk 10 steps in Houston, Texas in the middle of July, let alone the 10th of a mile. And so I remember showing up like my first day of work and I've got like, you know, sweat stains like all over my shirt and I'm doing whatever I can to kind of like cover this up and and be presentable. Um, And it's like in my mind for the next couple hours, like it affects the way that I'm going about my day because I know that like in a formal setting, I don't want to show up like with these, these spots on, right? Like I wonder if there are people in this room that like when it comes to your life, you're just held back from living fully because you're mindful of some area of shame, um, something that you carry with you that you don't think has been blotted out. And even though this says that, you know, he's this purifier, he's got this bleach that can cleanse anyone, you still, you still carry it with you. Um, maybe you're timid towards God. Uh, maybe it's in your mind. It, it just distracts you from living the, the full life that God's calling you to live. Uh, maybe it just consumes your, your thoughts with what could have been if I would have done this differently or if that would have happened. Well, if that's the seat that you're sitting in this morning, hear this. The miracle of Advent is that there is no stain so strong that it cannot be removed by the sacrifice that he gave for you. Do you feel that this morning? Like there is no stain in your life so strong that it cannot be bleached white by the sacrifice that's been laid down for you. So walk in the freedom of that. Lay your regrets down this morning and go walk in the, in the pure garments that he's purchased for you because he has. That, that's the first group of people that I have in, this, in my mind this morning is, is those that are just weighed down by, by the, the, the stains of sin. And then the second group would be this, that... There are maybe some of you in this room where there are some areas of your life that you need to convert from just kind of places of apathy to altars of adoration. Remember, the coming of Jesus means that, that we, we don't remain the same. He transforms our apathy into adoration. Are there places in your walk with God or in your home that you've been apathetic that you need to allow the Lord to transform into an altar in which you demonstrate your adoration to him? I think, I mean, an obvious one is that they were bringing these defiled animals because it didn't cost them anything. I just invite you to ponder the way you handle your finances. Are there areas of your life where you're making costly gifts, whether it be to the church, whether it be to people in need, maybe even your family, I don't know, but are there places where you've established altars where you can say, Jesus, you mean so much to me that I will offer this costly gift, not begrudgingly or to check the box that I did it, but in a demonstration of my appreciation for you. Are there costly gifts being offered in your life? Do you need to build an altar of adoration in that, in that area? I think of this other area that was a problem in the, their day and it's a problem for ours. Maybe for some of you, um, your apathy towards the Lord is actually showing up in the way that you go about your marriage. Maybe the Lord is inviting you to, to build an altar of adoration so that you can lay down some pride, lay down some self-interest, lay down some refusal to apologize. Maybe lay down the facade that you've got this and you can handle it and you don't need any help. Maybe there are marriages in the room that are just having a hard time and the, the offer of Advent is don't stay there. 
Let that actually, the way you conduct your marriage that's struggling right now, let that be an altar in which you, all, you worship the Lord in. Let it be a living sacrifice that you give to him. Is there an altar of adoration that could be built in your marriage? And then finally, just this general category of going through the motions like they were in Malachi's day. It's a weariness. Get this worship thing done so we can go about the rest of our lives. Jesus indicted the Pharisees, remember? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Maybe there are people in the room that have just been doing the church thing. Uh, You are physically here, but your heart, your affection, your adoration is completely absent. Jesus cannot show up as the centerpiece of your life and you remain apathetic towards him. And so as we begin this series in Advent, we have the promise of someone who transforms our apathy into adoration. His coming means that we leave our half-hearted ways behind him and we adore him for all that he is and all that he's done for us. And so, um, you know, Adam didn't want to sing any, any Christmas songs and I can't sing, so I'll just read this, okay, as an invitation to us this morning. Come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come ye, oh come ye, to Bethlehem. Are you apathetic towards the Lord this morning? The hymn says, come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.